1: tim and kathy keller are back with us the kellers they started way back in new york city where they founded a redeemer presbyterian church 1989 their three young sons as well in a decidedly you can imagine what it'd be like to start a church in new york new york uh bestsellers for many many years as well. Tim's newest book is called Forgive, Why Should I? How Can I? And uh I believe that we have um Tim, are you with us? We have Kath.
2: hi uh, you've got Kathy, but um you haven't got Tim yet.
1: We're efforting for mm-hmm. Tim. But Kath, how you doing?
2: Yeah. Oh it's been a wild ride.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah.
2: We we've, we've had some uh adventures since the last time we talked to you Mm -hmm. okay can
3: you tell us about some of them kev
2: well mainly they've been medical and they've been adjunct to tim's health issues um we were supposed to be talking to you in december if i'm remembering that wrong and instead he was taken to the hospital um, with a bleeding ulcer and they've been treating that for About two months and coming off of the meds for the ulcer so he can have a repeat um, endoscopic ultrasound um, has been a bumpy ride and um, right now he's pretty much just eating clear liquids. Mm Um, that's just not fun for day after day one day maybe but not for day after
3: day so right.
1: so Tim and he
2: also had hand surgery um uh-huh. on trigger finger so the stitches on that came out so these are all just little gadfly things um, on the
4: periphery but right we're- sorry about this or- <laughs> sorry about this organ recital <laughs>
2: Yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> right. Yeah.
4: So clear liquids.
2: Old, you ask how you're doing, and you, unfortunately, there's way too many things to tell.
3: Yeah, that's but part But yeah we're,
2: we're, yeah, we're doing, we're doing we're fine, fine, but we'd be happy to have people praying for all of these adju- adjacent issues because the big news is the last time we were down at the NIH, um, they looked at Tim and they said, you have responded spectacularly oh to the gosh. immunotherapy. That was the word. Isn't that and wonderful. And every, no, well, wait, there's, there's a part B. Um, the all, 100% of the initial tumors have gone, yeah. but cancer is sneaky. We had identified a gene and we had uh, engineered the white blood cells to go after that uh, genetic flag, and now they're cropping up tumors that don't have that genetic flag. So our white blood cells go right past it, don't notice. We're going to have to do the whole thing over again. So oh we have, we're we looking at another month down at the NIH while they do the whole thing all over again with um, a different set of cells looking for a g- different genetic marker. And we're just praying that Tim will be in good enough physical condition that they'll do it. But that's where all of this little niggly stuff
3: is, you know, maybe a little more serious. When would that second trip down to the NIH happen?
2: Well, they're they're not giving us an actual date. It'll be sometime mid-March to mid-April, which makes it really hard to rent a place to stay when you don't know what your dates are. Um, Looking at Airbnbs and that sort of thing, which we've never had to do um, in the past because there was a very generous woman lending her her apartment to us, but she's going to actually be in it, so... That won't work. But anyway, so it just, Tim needs to be, to have all these minor things behind him in the rear view mirror so that they don't interfere with going down for the new set of cells. And they said they really expect, because he he responded so spectacularly the first time, they really expect this to be wonderful, Uh, you know, that this will be a really wonderful response as well. So if anybody has any room on their prayer list, um, you know, getting Tim down to that second set of cells and getting him through it and having them work would be the thing that we're praying for anyway.
1: Fabulous. We'll certainly put that on our prayer list and pray for Tim and Kathy. But Tim, uh, at this point, and I'm sure Kath as well, you think about this a, a lot. Are you sick and tired of being sick and tired?
4: <laughs> um. I'm actually, you know what, probably because I'm a little bit of a product productivity junkie, I've had to, um, I really have had to spiritually surrender. Um, I always was a bit of a control freak of my uh, my schedule. I was very careful to make sure there weren't interruptions or, uh, you know, unlooked-for events that got in the way of my deadlines and all that. Put it this way, I have given up on that. So on the one hand, yeah, I'm tired of being... Sick and going to doctors, but it was also a really good. Um, I mean, God's God just led me to take my hands off my life and say, "Lord, you know how much time I'm going to have to work, and write, and do things this this month, and and you're not going to give me less time than I need, and therefore I just need to stop thinking that I'm in, I'm not in charge of my schedule, you know. <laughs> so I, I feel like, oh, that week I'm going to get a lot of work done, and suddenly, oh no, you're going to going for two days for this or that treatment. And so that's the sort of thing that has actually been good for me spiritually. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I'm emotionally uh, kind of tired of it. Sure. Of course.
1: And so, Kathy, you're the gatekeeper, of course. Right. Um, Has your is your due diligence had to increased over this continued illness that Tim is uh, suffering through.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, uh, he scared us to death in December and gave everybody a case of PTSD, you know, mm. ride to the hospital in an ambulance and all the rest of that. So it's it's been, you know, I I, I tell you know what echolocation is. That's yep. what bats do. Sure. Beep, beep, beep to know, you know, to get the radar back so they know where they are. You know, live in a very big apartment. We live in a. Kind of small apartment by anybody's normal standards. Um, I'll go through the house calling, Tim, Tim, and he'll say, What do you need? And I'll say, It's just echolocation. I'm just trying to find out where you are, and he is still here. You know, just I didn't hear you. I didn't hear you talking. I didn't hear you moving. Just make a noise, so I know you're fine.
1: Oh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that makes sense, right?
3: Oh, you guys. Yeah. You know, I was thinking about the two-sided coin, uh, Tim, because, you know, you don't have the kind of writing output that you have had over these decades if you don't have your schedule as regimented as you've had it. But then at the same time, you know, it can go too far. It's it, I, With all mm-hmm. of us, I mean, it's hard to find a good balance there.
1: Yes, um, it is. Yes. That may Kevin.
3: change soon. We're going to start mining some
2: of Tim's um, leadership training things for, you know, courses he's taught and and. Well, now you're opening that's, a long, what, what yeah, that's a long story.
4: Yeah, that's a long story, and I'm what, not
2: going to make it a long story. But I, we've we're, we're, well, we've been working on finding ways to get some of Tim's curriculum and his courses and things like that. Out there, and they're they're nine tenths written, so it could be a two book a year
4: thing. That's yeah, right uh, John Cathy, What, I mean, what that's she's all. talking about what Kathy's talking about. My Kathy's talking about is um, that what we're trying to do is I've been to, trying to do an inventory of all of my material. I've, I've done a lot of teaching over the years. It's so an awful lot yes, of stuff in my This is where your files. this
2: is where your productivity has turned around and bitten you because... Yeah, over the years, I have an awful lot of unpublished stuff.
4: Unpublished stuff. And what I'm doing is I'm inventorying it so that I'm not the only person who knows where everything is and who could actually pick a lot of this stuff up and get it out the door if I'm not in the best uh, health or if I'm not here. Mm -hmm. So we are... uh, So we actually, in a way, uh, trying to deal with that, with the fact that, yeah my most product my most productive years are behind me, but on the other hand, maybe it would be much better if it was more of a team effort anyway.
1: Right. Okay. Now you just released a book here, like what two months ago, but wait, Yep, forgive. So you're saying, Kath, you're letting this out, this number, 57,000 documents. Those go back. What to the sixties, Tim?
4: Uh, actually. Well, no, uh, Those are electronic documents. Thirty-four years.
2: Whenever we those go back into the early
4: eighties, they go back in the early eighties. I actually do have uh, fifteen hundred sermons I wrote in uh, Hopewell, Virginia, from seventy-five to eighty-four that are all in. They're handwritten, but they're here too. So anyway, I don't. I I don't know. You know, we'll see. I'm just trying to make sure that my heirs and my sons and all that know where everything is and where things are, where stuff is. Sure.
3: Well, we just want to say out loud that we're happy you're here now, right? We don't need to just know you through your documents. (laughs) We're glad to actually be talking to you. Tim Keller's on the air with his wife, Kathy Keller. Uh, Tim's newest book is called Forgive, Why Should I and How Can I? Um, You guys, I think what we'll do is we'll take a break now. And then when we come back, we want to talk to you both, um, particularly you, Tim, based on your Atlantic article about American Christianity. And if it's due for a revival if it's possible, and if so, what would that look like? So stay close, you guys, we'll be right back.
1: Revival. I grew up in Swissvale, and uh, there's a little tiny, tiny church. I mean, a little tiny church. Maybe you could fit in 100 people. And I drove by the the other day and I was with my buddy and I I was shocked because this church had a for sale sign in front of it. And I was like, can you believe that? He said, my buddy said, hey, that'd make a nice coffee shop. And I, I said, it'd make a beam better church but that's where we are in America today. I mean, things have really receded. Mm -hmm. You know it in your neighborhoods. How many churches, Catholic churches, Baptist churches, Presbyterian churches are now B&Bs or private residences? It's just the era of the pullback of what it is to be a believer. Tim and Kathy Keller are with us. Uh, Tim wrote a piece that appeared in the Atlantic called American Christianity is Due for a Revival. And Tim... I mean, the story in that little church in my hometown illustrates, and I'm sure you see this in New York City as well. The churches are put up for sale. Sign up.
4: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I used an example at the very beginning of the of the uh, article. That's why I think you're you're. That's what you're referring to. When we first got here. There was a an Episcopal church, beautiful Episcopal church, da- sort of downtown, uh, West Twentieth Street, I think. And it had been bought and turned into a, a sex club, basically, a sex and drugs club called the Limelight. And I mean, that was the, I hadn't really seen that because we're talking about 1989, and we'd come up from Virginia through Philadelphia. But what we saw was in Virginia, the church was still growing, and they were still building churches. When I got to Philadelphia, I could see that things were different in the Northeast. It was already, I felt like that Christianity was already at least not, not seen as very, not seen as positively. And then when we got to Manhattan, Christianity was the bad, they were the bad guys. Mm-hmm. Christians, Christians were the bad guys. And, and there was very few people going to church, and the churches were being turned into sex clubs and condominiums and everything. Uh, <clears throat> and now, though, I think more and more, I'm afraid we are seeing that in the rest of the country, too. Uh, I think it happened in a place like New York first. Uh, Then it happened in smaller cities like Pittsburgh. Then it started happening everywhere. So it's not great.
3: So we have a a varied audience to our show here, uh, Tim and Kath. We have people who are believers. We also have people who aren't believers who, you know, are from the Pittsburgh community or tri-state area. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure a lot of them who would not call themselves believers would say, well, I don't know if that's a bad thing. I mean, I don't know if it's if it's that tragic of a thing that Christianity has less and less of an influence because you guys haven't done, you know, such a great job uh, running things for, you know, a long time. So if, if that person comes to you and says, so why would it be a good idea, Tim Keller, for the church to be reinvigorated in society? What would you say?
4: That's a little hard to be, be, but I'm about to say, it sounds so counterintuitive to most people today that, um, what, what's, what seems more obvious is the, the scandals, you know, in the yeah. Catholic Church and the Protestant Church, and all the corruption. What people don't recognize is the Christian, <clears throat> the very idea of equal rights for all human beings is a Christian idea, is a biblical idea. It, it grew up in the West. Um, the idea that we should take care of all the poor, not just our own poor, but all poor people. It's a Christian idea. It comes from the idea that all human beings are in the image of God. didn't grow out of Asia. didn't grow come out of India or Africa or other places. It came out of Christianity. And to a great degree, we are uh, extraordinarily indebted to the church at that high level. Secondly, uh, there are I know Jonathan Haidt, who's a, an atheist. He's a social psychologist, a Jewish guy. Uh, not a good friend, but but I know him and I love him. He's just a really smart, wonderful guy. And he says, basically, you're never going to have a really cohesive society without strong religious bodies. Because he says, you can't have a society unless you believe that your morality is rooted in something sacred, something bigger than yourself. It's not just something we're making up out of our heads. And he said, actually, secular people don't really have that. Religion has that, and and therefore it kind of creates an anchor. And then, of course, maybe I I mentioned this. Here's the last thing. I mentioned this is the easiest one for people to get. Um, Twenty years ago, University of Pennsylvania did a study to figure out in general how much money uh, local churches were, were basically pouring into their neighborhoods in the Philadelphia area. And how much it would cost the government if all the churches disappeared tomorrow, how much it would cost them to replace those services. Mm -hmm. And this is 2001 and they figured just inside the city limits of Philadelphia, it would be $250 million a year. Mm -hmm. Now that's, you know, now, and yet here's the thing. Christians do not believe that the church, that Christianity is true because it serves society. We believe it can serve society because it's Mm -hmm. true. So you put all that together. If I had a little more time, I think I could make that sound a little more coherent. Can
2: I jump in with one comment here? Yeah. Um, Some of the people who are saying, I'm not really so sad to see the back of Christianity. They can, you know, disappear off the face of the earth, and that's fine with me. If they're talking about Christendom, I would agree. Christendom, it was not Christianity. It was sort of the civil religion, you know, where you put the Ten Commandments outside the courthouse and mm-hmm. and you had all of these societal markers of, um, you know, Christianity being the, the top dog in the uh, social order and everybody else had to sort of keep quiet and celebrate Hanukkah or whatever else they wanted to on the down low, but christianity if they have a revival that's a whole different thing that's not a return to christendom where you know we are we rule as the power from the top down it's a it's a return to what jesus talked about is mm-hmm. we serve from the bottom up we, be, we take a, the posture of right. we are people who've been saved by the gospel and now we can be servants of our neighbors rather than, you know, grab the power and force yeah. them to do what we think is the right I know thing. our time,
4: time is limited, but just to give you a real quick example, Peter Drucker was gone now. He was a business guru. When he moved from Europe to, to New Jersey in 1932 or something like that, and he was trying to buy a house, they said, where do you go to church? Mm. The mm. bank said, where do you go to church? Really? And, he, and he said, uh, I don't know that. What, why are you asking that? And he said, well, why would we give a a mortgage to somebody who doesn't go to church? How would we trust you? <laughs> wow. Okay, see, now, you see, that's Christendom. That's what Kathy's talking about. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not sure that's good, frankly. I, it feels to me that's just prejudice yeah. at that point to say, "Oh, well, you're not going to get a mortgage, what, if you're Jewish? Mm-hmm. Or if you're an atheist? That's not fair. My so gosh. that isn't something we should care about as much. But on the other hand, I think... I don't think people realize what would be lost if the church really dies.
1: Yeah. And Kath, okay, so here you are, Kath. You grew up in the eastern suburbs here in the city of Pittsburgh. And, of course, you know, I mean, you grew up here. You saw, and I'm sure, Tim, you saw Kath, your hometown church, your neighborhood church, and and the work that they did. It was evident to you as even as a young child, things were being done. People were coming here. You were part of the fabric of the community.
4: Yeah.
2: Oh, yeah. When, when I told my mother, this is Christendom again, that I had become a Christian, I was in my teens, she she said to me, you've always been a Christian. You were born in America. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. I said, uh, mom, not exactly how it
1: works. Yeah. And there is a difference, right? I mean...
3: No, it's a good distinction between Christendom and Christianity. Yeah. But here... Here's the problem, though. For the person I'm talking about who's listening to the program right now, there is no difference to them. They don't recognize that there's a distinction between, yes, between Christendom and, you know, a a Jesus following Christianity. Right.
4: Well, I tried to say something about that at the end of the the article where I said, Christianity, the gospel, Christianity is not moralism. And I think most people do think that's what it is, just Mm -hmm. what you're saying. Mm Mm-hmm. Um <clears throat> Moralism is where you are kind of harsh. You come down on people, you tell them you have to live like this, 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 you have to live like me and there 's a self righteousness and you see that self righteousness is what people utterly hate yeah. and yet the actual gospel is that you are a sinner saved by sheer grace that mm-hmm. yes, if, Just you like me. The, if you experience if you experience the grace of God in your life, you will uh, obey god you will you will follow, you, you, you won't kill, you won't steal, you won't lie. In other words, you of course you'll be a moral person. But, but your motivation is not moralism, which is saying, look how great I am, I'm following all the rules. Yeah. You're, you're, uh, what you're doing is once you realize you're saved strictly by God's grace because Jesus died for you, it creates a desire, an eager desire, to unselfrighteously want to love God and love your neighbor as a way of just saying, thank you for the grace that you've given me, and I just want to I want to give back. I want to give back to you. I want to give back to my neighborhood. So it's really not the moralism, and you're absolutely right. Most people don't see any difference in Christianity and moralism. Mm-hmm.
1: So then, if there is a revival, and, and Tim, in the piece, in the, in the Atlantic piece, you make a strong case that a revival is coming. Uh, is, is a lot of that hinged upon... The decline of the established, you know, sort of washbish church that we all grew up in, and a new church that hinges on a rise of immigrants who bring their faith to this country.
4: Part of it is that um, what we're what we're seeing is, and it's very interesting. <clears throat> Christianity is growing by leaps and bounds in Latin America, Africa, mm-hmm. um, China, uh, and other places in the world. But there are other places in the world where the population is growing, too, um, unlike us. And so what always happens is the places where the population is growing faster tend to go to immigrate to emigrate and immigrate to places where there's uh, where the population is not growing as fast. And so what's going to happen over the next 50 years is so many people are going to be moving to the United States from those parts of the world that are more, um, you know, more Christian. And they're going to be bringing their missionaries with them. My my guess is Koreans, listen, I do know this, in 1992, Koreans and Chinese people in New York City had already planted 300 new churches. Wow. 300 by the time, by 1992, over a 20-year period. Africans had planted 110. Now, I haven't been keeping up, but my guess is those numbers have at least doubled. Wow. And that's just New York. that's going to start happening. And of course, the kids are going to grow up and we're going to all get married. And so increasingly, there will be strong, growing, multi-ethnic churches in this country. And that's exactly right, John.
3: So the, I mean, when I hear that, it's thrilling to me. Uh, I think because I've, John and I have been so fortunate to be able to travel around the world and meet people who believe in Jesus from different tribes and cultures and it's it's an a, there's just not absolutely nothing like it. It truly yeah. is a for, it's a, truly is a foretaste of the kingdom. Um I understand though that there, there are probably a lot of people listening to the program who look at that with a little bit of trepidation and they think, "Well, you know, I don't I don't want America to become South Korea." Or I don't and so you know, the ideas of immigration on a, in a geopolitical sense get a little mashed up with thinking that the church is multicultural.
4: Yeah. Well, i tell you what. I, well, you're right. First and of can all, I just, you have to can be I careful. Say
2: my, Tim, can I interrupt you and say my line? If people do not enjoy multicultural churches, they're not going to enjoy heaven very much.
4: <laughs> yeah.
2: Seriously. To, every kingdom, tribe, to, people, nation
4: right. are going to be there. Kathy. And if
2: you're not ready for that, <laughs> you're not
4: going to enjoy heaven very much. So... Down here, I was just going to say, within the church, it's seasoning. It's it's uh, it's not it's not a totally new church because because what ends up happening is that when uh, yeah when Korean Americans come into the church, they bring something from their Korean Christianity, and the result in the end though is not Korean Christianity. It's uh, it's it's you know, I guess you could say it's more global Christianity. Mm-hmm. And you learn. I mean, when I uh, when I first started having uh, Asian staff members on my in my on my church staff at Redeemer, they started telling me things that I could be doing a lot differently because in Korean churches they do it this way. And like one time out of two, I would say, eh, "No, I'm not going to do it that way. I don't think that's a good way." But then, but another one time out of two, I would say that's better. Mm. That That is a better way of doing it. And I was learning from my multi-ethnic staff and Redeemer became a much stronger church, but recognizably an American church. Mm-hmm. So you ought to see it more like seasoning. When it comes to the geopolitical stuff, the political stuff, I don't think I better talk about that right here, but I do think in the end that it it doesn't mean the overthrow of America. Right. Like right. Some, there's a, it just does not. People are still coming into American institutions and I believe that American institutions will be seasoned by all these immigrants just the way my church was and it still be recognizable American church
1: I agree yeah and so whether we like it or not and despite uh, our our gnashing of teeth and fear of a changing country this country always changes that uh, we will still in in many ways still be Christian right I mean Christian whether it's Korean Christian or whomever Christ will still be here in the United States of America yeah, and that's what yes, you meant.
3: Absolutely. Right, and that and and here's the thing, I think the clo- and, and the closer we become, the more the more that we progress down the road of sanctification, each one of us, right, we're gonna to start to prize the things that God loves and not the things that we hold on to mm-hmm. so tightly. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't love America, because I love America, and I hope that the South Korean Christians love their You know what I mean? I don't think there's anything right. wrong with patriotism, but there is something mm-hmm. about our hearts that become more like him the more we know him. And so if he loves the multi-ethnic church, I really believe that our hearts are going to be drawn into that too.
4: I totally agree. And it's also true, by the way, that every person, when you become a Christian, you're changed a bit from the non-Christian culture around you and whatever it is. Um, so I do know, for example, America is extraordinarily individualistic. Like, I, I can do my own truth, and I, I, uh, you know, I can define myself. Right. Well, American churches are relatively individualistic compared to Korean churches. Yeah. On the other hand, we've been changed by the Bible. The Bible doesn't let us go all the way in that direction. Actually, Korean churches, and I'm saying this because we, I know them, tend to be authoritarian a little bit more because Korean culture is authoritarian. But but Christianity, that mo- it modifies that. Christianity keeps the, keeps the authoritarianism of some cultures, and it moderates it inside the church, just like it's mm-hmm. moderated individualism inside mm-hmm. the American church. Got we it. ought to be very happy for the fact that, that God is bringing us together across these racial barriers, and, and just letting us be. I mean, when I become a Christian, I'm not a Chinese Christian. I'm an American Christian. Mm-hmm. Right. But I'm also different. I've been, I'm, 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 I'm letting the gospel critique my Americanness in some ways, and it makes me, I think, a better American, but certainly a great Christian, too. Amen.
1: Well, that's a good word. Tim and Kathy it. Keller, Tim's uh, new book, Forgive. Uh, why should I? How can I? Uh, we're going to let you guys go. But wait, before we do, though, uh, Super Bowl's coming up. Uh, Kath, Tim, do you have any interest?
3: <laughs> the Steelers um, aren't playing. Cool. Who cares?
1: Yeah. Oh, no, wait a minute. Good yeah, team. Tim.
3: This is where Tib's going to have his best moment. By the
4: moment. way, I was, I was really encouraged by the in, the latter part of the Steelers season. Yeah. Not yeah. the first part.
3: Yes, we so were, I, too. kind of
4: exciting. Yeah, right. And there's some young players there that I really hope will be good. But uh, you might want to keep in mind, I was raised in – Eastern Pennsylvania yeah, uh, I know this is what you've been it's waiting flatter for. and there and there and the eagles are there yeah. yeah eagles are in Eastern Pennsylvania so sorry I I, I have a favorite no fabulous. okay so
3: for your Super Bowl party though you have to have clear liquid only
1: <laughs>
4: no, <laughs> clear- don't remind me okay
3: what so I need so, no, I need to send hall. like chicken soup
1: wings like, and clear liquid wings really are not appetizing <laughs> oh. <laughs>
3: Oh, that's super sad. Okay. Well, whenever you're feeling better, Tim, we'll send you something like really terrible, like wings and kabasi.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah.
3: Oh, sauerkraut and oh, kabasi. I Saucers. have made a believer out of Tim. Oh, excellent. <laughs> that's oh one of his favorite thing. excellent. All right. Hey, we're praying for both of you guys.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Always a pleasure, guys. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Greatly appreciate that's it.
3: It's Tim and Kathy Keller. Tim's latest book is called Forgive Why Should I? How can I?
1: All right. At least one side of the family is saying go Eagles. The other, of course, super yinzer, Steeler forever.